Good morning. Great to see you. <clears throat> this past week, if you weren't able to be here, we had a Connect meeting, which is kind of our version of a church business meeting on Wednesday night, um, and it was actually phenomenal. Um, we had this room. There was tables in here. We had some table discussions, but the room was full. Uh, we had a whole bunch of you show up, which is amazing just because it shows um, the interest of, of so many people to know what's going on in the church and, and what are we thinking and what are we planning and what are we doing to move forward. And and uh, just want to share a couple of minutes about some of those things today, especially for those of you who weren't able to be here on Wednesday night. Uh, one of the things you will notice, and we're at the time of year, we understand this is a time of year as the weather gets nicer, and then in the next month or so as we move towards school uh, being done for the summer, uh, we're coming into a time where people are going on vacations and doing some other things, which typically in churches means lower attendance. But this past year, and even looking out today, what we notice is this room on most Sundays gets pretty full. Uh, and more than that, if you don't have kids that you're dropping off in our kids' programs uh, down on the other side of the church on Sunday mornings, uh, our kids' programs have been bursting at the seams. We've talked about this a number of times, but we've actually had to convert basically all space that we have in the back of the church into some form of classroom for kids uh, to try and facilitate the numbers that we have there uh, and to get to the point where we're actually over capacity on Sundays in our kids' ministries. And so we are so grateful and we're thankful to God because uh, what that means is this church has been growing. Many of you, uh, you've been part of that. Uh, you've either been here for a long time or some of you in the last year, year and a half have made Westside your home, which is beautiful. And we love how we've had opportunities, um, not just to show up on Sundays together, but for many of us to dive into deeper community together, to build friendships uh, and even family bonds with people that we didn't know a couple of years ago. And that is fantastic. One of the challenges that that has brought is uh, we are realizing we're maxing out the, cap the capacity of this building on Sunday mornings. And like I said, we're coming into a season where that's probably going to ease off a little bit. But as we look towards the fall, we know in September we're going to have those same issues. And we as a leadership have been talking for a long time about what are we going to do about that? What are the options? Uh, and how do we make sure that we're trying to stay ahead of things, knowing that we're going to have to uh, work on that? And so actually a couple of months ago, uh, our board commissioned a group of people to be a steering committee to look at a whole bunch of options and, and to even name the options. What could we do? How could we uh, make sure that we're, we're being accessible for more people and we're accommodating the people that are coming and our kids ministry and all the different things. And on Wednesday night, as we came together, that was a big topic of discussion. And so uh, our steering committee came with some recommendations. This was after they had met and gone through a whole bunch of options, pros and cons, tried to work out some of those details and then came and said, here's what we think are a couple of our best options going forward. And we were able to have some table discussions and get some feedback uh, from many of you, which is so valuable, which now uh, we're going to take that, uh, all those things. We've got lots of notes to go through and to continue to weigh them and make decisions. So two of the, the big recommendations that were brought to us, and again, these are recommendations, so we're still in the process uh, of making sure that we're thinking and planning well for the future uh, and getting input from uh, all of you, uh, but is short term uh, to say we're probably going to have to add a second service time on Sunday mornings, and this is something uh, we would probably looked forward to in the fall as, again, uh, our busy season, things ramp up and people come back from vacations. And then recognizing that even though that might be something we need to do in the short term, there's probably um, some more longer term things that we need to think of that that probably uh, might be essential in the short term, but maybe not the best option in the long term. And the other recommendation that was put forward that we'll push into the future uh, is to consider planting a church. 
or being a church planting kind of church to say what we all love about this church and community, what if we could provide that in another location for other people that maybe would have to drive far to come here uh, and to be able to uh, take some of the DNA of what we think God is doing here at Westside and create it somewhere else. So that's where some of the conversation was around. And uh, I know for some of us, we hear some of those things and it sounds like, whoa, that might be a big change. Or what about all the different pieces that would have to happen? Uh, And we just want to let you know that where we're at right now is considering those recommendations and to continue to do more work on them and then to bring back uh, in the process uh, the communication with you and to keep you up to date uh, with where we're at and how things are progressing and what we're thinking uh, and to continue to invite you uh, to speak to us, uh, our leadership, either John, our executive pastor, myself, uh, we can set you up with our board members. Uh, If you've got other ideas or or things that you want to talk about, we just want to make sure that that's a communication and a a dialogue that is happening all the way through. But it's really important that you just know uh, kind of where we're at, some of the things that we're thinking about, and this is really, really important. I want to ask you all to pray, to pray for our leaders, those who uh, are are talking about this on an ongoing basis and thinking about it, uh, praying for us as a community and a church that we would be hearing from God as we see what God is doing here, but we want to discern what he might be calling us to in this season and in the next season, and that's so crucial. And we believe, we really believe um, that the way we need to hear from God is in a community sense, not just one or two people praying and saying, oh, we think we have the the, the right answers, but instead as a community to be seeking God's voice, listening, and then together talking about those things and figuring out where uh, he might be calling us to go in the future. So we're really excited. We're excited because uh, so many of us are coming together. Uh, We do love what God is doing here for ourselves, for our kids, for our youth, uh, and we just want to continue to follow God. God in what he might have for us. So that's a little update on where we're at Westside from a quantitative perspective. Like we're trying to figure out how do we just deal with the number of people that we have. In the teaching series that we're in, this is week two of our teaching series, Judge Not, I want to talk more about the qualitative place that we're in. I want to actually talk about how we make sure that we are healthy people, and especially as people who are religious people or people of faith, people who are trying to follow Jesus, where are some of the pitfalls, and how do we make sure that we're actually growing and we're maturing and we're becoming uh, the kind of people that are more and more like Jesus, just one step at a time. So this series... We've called Judge Not because one of the big issues for people who are kind of religious or might even be tempted to be sort of religious is to become judgmental. So last week we started this series and uh, one of the things we said was that people who are self-righteous tend not to be very self-aware. And I actually had a whole bunch of people talk to me about that, that line this week and go, oh man, like that just makes it so clear and, and kind of convicting. Because when you hear that, you go, self-righteous people who become judgmental are often not very self-aware people, which means they're good at looking at other people's faults, but not looking very clearly at their own and where they're at. And uh, it's easy to hear that and you go, oh, I know somebody like that. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, there's some people I could say. And then hopefully something in your brain goes, wait, oh, it's me. I just did it. Right now, I just did it. I just went to the judgmental. I'm better than somebody else. I don't do that. I'm more self-righteous in my own way and somebody else is not. And so hopefully some of us caught the snag on that last week. That was kind of the point and go, it's just so easy to turn judgment out to somebody else, not to consider all of the factors uh, or all of their motivations or who they are, but just to say, oh, I see someone I disagree with. I see someone who uh, I wouldn't make those decisions. They're doing this bad thing and that thing. And to become judgmental. And Jesus teaches us, judge 
not or you will be judged. And so we talked about what it looks like to uh, have the same measure that we use with ourselves as the measure we use with other people. And hopefully that helps us to grow, to be more compassionate people, uh, to be people who have a, a better idea of who they are and who other people are and seek instead to, instead of judging people, to love other people. Now today, what I want to talk about With that in mind, judge not, and knowing that Jesus taught his followers not to judge others, to understand that Jesus got very judgmental. Jesus got really judgmental. And there's a couple of places where we can read through that, and actually we can find where you go, Jesus literally, I mean, like a prophet, pronounces judgment on other people, which first time you look at that, you go, that's a contradiction, isn't it? Is Jesus not the biggest hypocrite? If he tells his followers, don't judge other people, is he not majorly a hypocrite for then going and judging certain people? And this is what we call a paradox. A paradox is a statement or a proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd even, but in reality expresses a possible truth. Let me give you another example, just so we, I think most of us, we understand a little bit about paradoxes, but there's just certain things that seem very contradictory, but when you think about it a little bit deeper, you realize that actually it's not, this is true and that is not true, but actually maybe both things need to be true. So if you say to yourself, I want to be a tolerant person, I believe in tolerance. In order to actually be tolerant, there's certain things you cannot tolerate. You can't tolerate hate if you want to be a tolerant person. Because if you tolerate hate, then all of a sudden you're not tolerating something. But, but then if you do, then, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. So you might say, I want to be a tolerant person. Well, then you have, to be, you have to tolerate anything. And you say, yes, I do, but I can't tolerate hate. And you go, now you're being a hypocrite and contradictory. And you say, no, it's just a paradox. Both of the things have to be true. Because tolerance has certain boundaries. And of course, when you think about it a little deeper, you go, yeah, if you want to tolerate people, then you have to be intolerant of certain things. And that is kind of what happens with judgment as well. So where does Jesus get judgmental? Jesus is very judgmental of judgmental religion. And that's the paradox. And those are the two things that actually have to be true, even though they might seem like they are contradictory at first. If you say, judge not, Do not judge other people, and you talk about all the things we talked about last week, then when it comes to a religion that is very judgmental, doing all those things you say you don't need to do, well, at some point you have to say, we have to bring that into judgment, don't we? We have to bring that judgmentalism into judgment. And so that's where we see Jesus being very judgmental of judgmental religion. If we're going to be tolerant of certain things, there's other things we can't be tolerating. So today what I want to do... And uh, actually today, I'm going to read a lot of scripture. There's a couple of chapters I want to read to you that um, are Jesus' words. They're long sections. And whenever in the scriptures, by the way, in the scriptures, there's a lot of details in scriptures in a lot of different genres in the Bible that go really quickly, like the really big picture, or they don't get into certain details. When things slow down, when you have really large sections, for example, in the Gospels of teaching, or when things start to get really detailed, that is a sign for us to stop and go, there's a reason for that. So Jesus' life gets told in the four Gospels. 
You know, it, it, it's not that long. You can read about Jesus' entire life, death, and resurrection. You could do it in one sitting. Uh, it's not this huge, massive biography. They're pretty short. But then there's these sections where you go, and now a whole chapter is devoted to this or that. And those are signs we go, this is very important. So today I come to a couple of those chapters on judgment that I want to talk about. And I was thinking about it, and I actually thought to myself, I wonder why in Christianity or in churches, and I'm sure there's lots of churches where this isn't true, but I wonder why these passages aren't more popular why they're not the ones that people talk about all the time. And that because they're big sections that get kind of detailed where you go, this is obviously what we were supposed to stop and read on. And yet then I read it and I go, oh, I do kind of understand why. Because it's very challenging. Because practically speaking, it really gets to our hearts. It goes deeper and it drives us to a place that is really hard to just say, uh, you know, judge not, but then to go deeper and go, okay, well, let's get into some of what Jesus really would judge. And if we stop and go slow, I think the obvious reason why we don't camp out on these passages more often is because, if we're honest, it's just really difficult. It's going to challenge us in ways that are really hard. Most of us are going to read some of what Jesus said. And again, I probably don't even have to make tons of comments on it, just kind of read it. And we're going to go, oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I've thought that. Oh, yeah, I've done that. So we're going to do that anyway. And as people who desire to follow Jesus, or maybe you're just curious about following Jesus, that's okay. Uh, We just want to kind of get into this and read from Matthew chapter 23. This is a chapter in some of your translations. One of the key words is woe, woe to the scribes or the teachers of the law. And uh, it's kind of a prophetic way of basically pronouncing judgment. So this is where uh, Jesus is pronouncing judgment. Uh, I'm in a translation today that's going to say it a little differently, but it's going to say things like what sorrow awaits you. In other words, what you're doing now is leading you to a very, very bad place and a very bad experience. Woe to you. This is a judgment. This is language Old Testament prophets would have used. Prophets, by the way, were not very well-liked people because prophets didn't show up with kind of the happy-go-lucky, hey, everything's fine kind of message. They were the people that showed up when things were going off the rails and when people were not doing what they were supposed to do. And as a group, they were headed into a bad place. The prophets would show up and then kind of go, and this is why we're headed in a bad place. They tried to jar people back into getting on track in their faith and together as a community in how they live out of practice. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, really speaks like a prophet like that. So you ready? I got 10 things for you. Judgmental religion is when people, and I got like a top 10 list from you, for you from Jesus. So uh, we'll go pretty quick because again, I don't think I need to make a ton of comments, but here we go. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. The Pharisees, by the way, you read through the gospels, the Pharisees so oftentimes are the bad guys. And sometimes we walk away and go, Pharisees are bad. Don't be a Pharisee. Jesus really hammered the Pharisees, which he did. But also if you study the time period of Jesus and you study how he interacts with the Pharisees, what their doctrines were, what they believed, and then you start comparing other groups within the leadership of the Jewish people. And Jesus, obviously Jewish. He's actually here, by the way, it's important. He's critiquing his own religious tradition. Um, But the Pharisees, most scholars agree, were probably the group in leadership that actually believed closest to what Jesus believed, not furthest. 
So he's actually coming along, and some people believe the Apostle Paul, who writes a lot of the New Testament, was a Pharisee at one point, that actually there's a lot of alignment, and yet Jesus is going to find that how they teach and how they live is different. So number one, they don't practice what they preach. They are hypocrites. They prescribe one thing, but what they prescribe for other people does not describe them. So you may go out, and actually it could be a good idea to obey what they teach, But don't follow them because they don't obey what they teach. They don't practice what they preach. They're hypocrites. Verse 4 says, They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. So number two, they add burdens instead of ease burdens. Now, I know just a minute ago I said I wasn't going to comment that much, but (laughs) this one really got to me. This one really got to me. They add burdens. They'll crush people. They have opinions about what you should do and how you should live your life and what standard you should live to. And you've got to do this and you've got to be this good. And these are all the ways that you have to do that to the point where it's crushing people and they don't lift a finger to help them. This got me because I feel like this is, this is just so easy for me to do this. It's so easy for me to have an opinion about how everybody else should live and not to help anybody with the burdens that they are dealing with. And you know why it's hard? Because it's easy to have an opinion and it's easy to sit over here and go, I'm right about all that kind of stuff. And I actually think that in sort of our context in um, North America and in the modern world, there's a lot of different ways that we have prized Believing the right thing and having the right ideas about morality and making sure that we know where you should stand on all sorts of social issues and that that's become so important and then we're not helping anybody. Just think about this for a second. And I'm trying trying not to get too specific on this. Think about any controversial issue in morality, in, you know, these are the things that Christians get really worked up about in politics and what the laws should be about this or that or the other thing and how other people should live. There's always stuff about sex. We've got great opinions about what everybody should do and not do. That's fine. It's not that you shouldn't have an opinion. But how easy is it for us to have an opinion about what everybody else should do and not to help anybody with burdens? Could you imagine what it would look like? Just think about all the controversial issues that we talk about and get very opinionated about and tell everybody else or think that everybody else should live a certain way. And imagine, instead of just forming an opinion, we asked ourselves, what is a burden that I could lift in that person's life? Or in those people's lives, in those groups of people's lives. What if we said, hey, we form an opinion and we think we've got, we've got you know, a good handle on what should happen and shouldn't happen. Okay, that's great. But what Jesus said, these guys have all the opinions of what you should do. They just don't help anybody. What if our question wasn't just, well, what do we think people should do or not do, but how could I lift burdens? How could I help them in that difficult situation? How could I care for them and show them that they're loved? How could I make life a little bit easier? You know why we don't do that? It's way harder. It's way more time-consuming. It's way messier. It's way more costly. They add burdens instead of ease burdens. Whew. Okay. That one got to me. Can tell? I just think the landscape would look so different if we just took these words and said, wow, how do we ease people's burdens in our world? Okay, verse 5. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. Those prescriptions are in the Bible. A lot of these things are in the Bible, actually. Uh, But these people are all about appearances. So those uh, little boxes 
Um, they're called phylacteries. You find these written about in places like Deuteronomy 6 and Numbers 15. And the reason they would have these little, often leather cases, really tiny. Some of them uh, archaeologists have found in Qumran, which are these caves uh, that are kind of near where Jesus was. And there were the people active during the time of Jesus and around the time of Jesus. And they found these. Some of them are so small. They're like a third of an inch. And they would put them around their neck. And then they would have these tassels, these blue tassels on the edge of their outer garments. And the whole reason was they were connected to certain scriptures and they reminded you to obey those scriptures. They reminded you like Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, which is this proclamation that Yahweh is God and Yahweh alone. You should love the Lord your God with all that you are and all that you have and all these. And it was like, just put this in a place where you're always going to be reminded. And then there was people who go, I'm going to make mine a little bigger and I'm going to make my tassels a little bit longer. And then it's not so much that it'll remind me to actually be who God is calling me to be and do what I'm called to do, but it's to make sure people know that I'm being reminded to obey God, that I'm a religious person, that look at, uh, you know, I've got it, I'm doing the Deuteronomy 6 thing, I'm doing the Exodus thing, uh, or the Numbers thing, I've, I've got it all together. They're all about appearances. It's all about what other people will think of me. Verse 6 says, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in seats of honor in synagogues, they love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Number four, Judgmental religion is when people chase power and titles. And Jesus goes over and over and over this, and people almost never get it. The disciples, his closest disciples, he teaches this repeatedly because they just can't understand that he should look like this great leader in front of everybody's eyes. And when he tells them, actually, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be crucified. I'm not going to look like my life is going up and to the right all the time, and I'm becoming more powerful, whatever. People are going to reject me and kill me, and you're supposed to follow me in that process because that's real transformation is when we give up power and we give up titles and we serve other people even if it costs us our lives, and they just go, I, what are you talking about? Like, they cannot get it. And here, Jesus challenges, everybody wants to be a leader, everybody wants to be in charge, everybody wants the respect that comes along with the title, and he says, actually, just, you know what really serve people well is if you were um, learners, and if you were brothers and sisters, instead of having to be fathers, which is kind of this, you know, I'm honored, and I'm the leader, and I'm in charge of everything, and if you were servants, that would be the real way to follow Jesus, the real way uh, to live out your religion. Verse 13 says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and you won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. Judgmental religion is when people close spiritual doors instead of open them. Jesus' number one core message that he brought beginning to end of his life was that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. You can live right now in the experience that God is in charge and all that God has for you, you can access. And no matter what's happening in the world, and no matter what your opposition is, and no matter how evil things are growing, you can experience the presence of God in your life. And Jesus says, these people are closing those doors instead of opening them. They're putting barriers instead of removing the barriers. Oh, and by the way, in their religious practices, they're not actually experiencing the kingdom of God at all, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is when God gets what God wants, 
And we certainly see in all kinds of areas in our world where that doesn't happen. The God of love, the God that says, love me and love your neighbor, the God of compassion, of mercy and justice, we'll see in a minute. It says, come follow me and, and come and access all of those things. Come and live in my peace, even in the midst of this world. And yet there's people who are shutting those doors and they're not even going in themselves. They've created a whole different version of what it looks like to be in the kingdom. Many people, it's easy to live in our own kingdom where we get what we want, where life is about getting what we want and us being in charge and us being in power. Jesus came to a place where he said, we're actually going to surrender that kind of leadership to God. Well, judgmental religion says, no, 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 we will close that door because we want to be in charge. Verse 15 says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell. You yourselves are. Number six, we reproduce our faults. We're so zealous for people to become what we are, to come join our religious movement. But the problem is, when we're not unhealthy, we just transmit our unhealthiness to those people. We might be so zealous and think we're doing so good to convert people and win people, but what are we winning them to? This word here uh, for hell, by the way, in the New Testament, the word hell, our English word we get from a German word, uh, which comes century after the Bible, trying to describe what's happening. For Jesus, when he uses the word hell, he's talk, it's Gehenna in the original uh, language here. And uh, Gehenna is a place you can still go there in Israel. It's a valley. Actually, right now, parts of it are a beautiful, lush valley. In Jesus' day, it was a garbage dump. You bring your garbage there, the stuff that's useless, the stuff that doesn't work, the stuff that's getting in the way, and they would burn the garbage there, and it became metaphor. You can see how it become a metaphor. So you would try and convert people. You want to win them over to your way of thinking, but you win them over to a place where there's nothing much of value there at all. Might as well throw it in the dump just reproducing our own faults, our our own shortcomings, our own hatred, our own bigotry, our own you fill in the blank. Verse 16, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you shall you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold of the temple. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold of the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that You say that to swear by altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind. For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. Whoa, okay, what is he talking about? We can find actually in the Mishnah, which is a written version of the oral traditions, the oral laws of uh, these people, these scribes and Pharisees, they would read the scriptures and they would say, we don't want to mess up, we don't want to sin. And so they would actually come up with, how do we make sure we don't do those things? And they would start adding, well, if you don't want to do this, then do this. But sometimes they started playing games. And this is number seven. They play games with God. So in one section of that work, these oral traditions, they would try and figure out, if you do an oath, if you make an oath to God and say, I am going to do this this, and hopefully you'll give me this, then uh, here's when you really have to follow through on your oath, and here's when maybe not. So the temple, eh, you maybe made that oath, but I didn't mean it that much. But the gold in the temple, well, now that means something, because that's specific. What they're doing is playing games, they're working with loopholes, when do I really have to say what's true and do what I say, and all that kind of stuff. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, when it came to oaths, he was like, how about you just let your yes be your yes, and your no be your no. If you say you're going to do something, do that thing. Yes is yes, Make sure your life lines up with it. Forget the oaths altogether, let alone playing games, but how easy it is for us to play games, 
to find the loopholes of I'm not really sinning or I can get away with this or here's the reasoning why I don't have to love my neighbor or I could judge my neighbor. We play games with God. Verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain out your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Hey, good, some of you got it. You're supposed to laugh at that. Do you know what they'd do? You know what they would do? Okay, a little gnat, little flying creature has wings. It's unclean for the religious, these, these people, the Jewish people. And so if you accidentally came into contact with one, like one flew into your water and then you drank the water and it touched your lips, now you're ceremonial unclean, which has an effect on how you can worship or not worship, who you can be with, the time period that you have to deal with, all that kind of stuff. So they had these little tools where they would strain out their water to make sure. We have to make sure that there's no gnats because this little thing could make us ceremonially unclean. And then Jesus goes, you do this. And just picture people meticulously going through and then swallowing an entire camel, which was also unclean. He's making his point. You're tithing. Your little herbs. Oh, if I, if I have this much of a crop of my little herbs. Anybody planting your vegetables or your herbs this weekend? Okay, got a little bit of, little bit of plant. Okay, well, I got to take one-tenth of that and I got to bring it to the temple and I got to make sure I'm doing that. It's just totally small things said, you're doing that and you're missing justice? That is, people who have been wronged, people who are struggling, people who are poor, people who don't have enough, people who other people have stolen from them and so they're in a desperate position and you're not doing anything for them? Mercy, the way that you love your neighbor, the way that Jesus taught, this is love God and love your neighbor. This is everything and everything else hangs on those two things and you're missing out on that. Your faith, this deep trust in what... You know, you're... You're, oh, don't want to get the gnat in there, but you'll eat a whole camel? You're supposed to go, this is supposed to be like a huge, how could you miss that? How could we miss that? Oh, it's easier than we think, unfortunately. They major on minor things and they minor on major things. And Jesus said, does that mean the little things don't matter? No. But you can't miss the big things. And you can't get the order uh, confused of what's more important. Verse 25, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're cleaning the outside, you know, picture doing your dishes and you never clean the inside part, you clean the outside part, go, oh, that looks good, but are you going to put food in there and eat off of it? Again, something that would have made people unclean in their situation is not eating off of things that were clean and but it's like you're washing these things and it doesn't matter. And then he talks about these tombs, probably thinking of especially people who had come into, say, Jerusalem on pilgrimages for certain feasts and certain times uh, to worship in the temple, people who weren't there all the time. And one of the things they would do is where there were tombs, they would make sure they were marked so people could see them because if you got too close to a dead body or to bones that had been buried, again, you could risk this uncleanness that makes you unfit to worship for a time. 
And he goes, you're whitewashed tombs. Like you're like those tombs where on the outside you can paint them, but inside it's dead bones. But that's now, that's now you. You can make yourself look good. You can look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. You haven't committed to transformation. You're, you're not working on your greed or your self-indulgence. You're all of those things still, except, you know, go back to the other ones. You got the tassels on it and you got the little scriptures hanging around your, your head or on your arm. Well, look at you. But inside, transformation isn't happening. What sorrow awaits you, teachers, verse 29, of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you're, for your, you, you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell, of Gehenna, of the garbage dump? So number 10, they pretend to repent. They say, we honor the prophets. The prophets were these great people that came and told us what was right and wrong, and we are honoring them in that tradition. And Jesus says, no, you, this is harsh. No, you are not the ancestors of the prophets. You're the ancestors of the people who killed the prophets because they didn't want to change. That's the family resemblance. You pretend like you're these people who have repented and changed and you're living how you ought to live. No, you're the people that when somebody comes and shows you the way that you ought to live, you kill that person because they're so threatening to you. Therefore, he says, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law, but you will kill some by crucifixion, like Jesus. You'll flog others by whips in synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you'll be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time, from the murder of the righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of uh, Berechiah. Uh, that is Abel, the first murder in the scripture in Genesis, and that is Zechariah, one of the last prophets in the prophets. It's the whole Old Testament ancestry. This is what we're talking about. Whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, this judgment will fall on this very generation. Okay, that's the bad news. But maybe some of those things you go, I see how we've reproduced some of those things. I see how in our religious acts, we continue to do those things. Um, you might be tempted to go, I know someone like that. I know churches like that. mirror. When are we like that? When am I like that? I don't address me. This is the judgmental religion that Jesus is judgmental towards. It's a whole, this huge chapter, Matthew chapter 23. Obviously, we're supposed to look at it. Two chapters later in Matthew chapter 25, this is another one where I don't understand when you talk about what the judgment, the end, looks like. Why I don't understand is not just the most core, basic passage that Christians read. We get very complicated. We read a lot about what Paul says about it. There's a lot of deep theology, and all that's good, and all that's necessary. But sometimes we get carried off. Jesus, this is Jesus going, okay, now let's just talk about um, at the end of the day, if we all came together and it was kind of the end, and God was going to judge, what would it look like? I'm going to make even fewer comments. I know I lied a little bit. I made more comments than I told you I would. But I'm running out of time now, so I'm not going to make a lot of comments. And I don't know that I need to. But I'm going to read a bunch from Matthew chapter 25, what Jesus talks about what the judgment of God looks like. Just a little bit of a comparison. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. You cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when do we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of me, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me and they will go away into the eternal punishment for the righteous will go to an inherit eternal life. And everybody's surprised. People from all nations all around the world show up. And and on both sides, they're surprised. After today, I don't think we should be surprised. What's important? What should our faith look like? How should it be expressed if we're following Jesus? Our faith should demonstrate that we're for people and not against them that we're opening up doors by helping them and providing for them and caring for them where we can. No hypocrisy, no pretending we're perfect, just trying to ease burdens where we find them, not trying to be known, famous, but serving people, not worried about titles, but doing what ought to be done, opening doors of the kingdom of heaven, which is marked by loving our neighbor and living in peace together, demonstrating that people are valuable and important, no games, no workarounds, no loopholes, having our outer life match up with our inner life, which is extremely difficult, and doing what the prophets would tell us to do, which is to pursue justice, mercy, and faith, and there to demonstrate that we are for our neighbors, because God is for our neighbors. And I know there's a lot of other stuff, but if that's, not, if that's not it, if that's not the core, if that's not the most, I know you can use the Bible to come up with a million other things, but I read these two chapters and go, what is the judgment with which Jesus judges religion? That to me is a pretty good picture. When we meet needs, we will meet Jesus. That's what I think he's saying. Jesus actually says there's something sacramental about feeding people who are hungry and clothing people that are naked and all the other things. Uh, He says, when you do it for them, you're doing it for me. Um, You want to look for where Jesus is? Go to those places and those people and do those things and you'll find Jesus. That's where he is. When you do it for them, you do it for him. So for the next four weeks, we have a food drive and a clothing drive. (laughs) Just try not to bring any food or clothing. (laughs) You'll be judged. Um, we just want to work out that muscle. We want to work out that muscle and say, what if we just show up for some needs uh, in this way for the next month and we just practice? And my hope is this isn't like, oh, we did this for four weeks and that's it. But actually together as a community, we start working out that muscle and saying, there's hungry people down at Gore Park. John was telling me, he stopped in yesterday to meet some of the people we've been interacting with that are down at Gore Park feeding people every weekend. And there was like 500 people in line to get food. 
that this started with maybe six volunteers and now has somewhere around 100 volunteers, I think, passing out food. That here in our city, not very far from where we are, there is a lot of people who are struggling and don't have availability of food. And I think Jesus would say, if you really understand what faith looks like, if you really understand what God has done for you and all that he's provided for you, wouldn't you make sure that these people have something to eat? And we would say, of course, of course. And when you feed them, Jesus says, you're feeding me. And there are people in Haiti, and I think I, we probably don't have to talk too much about uh, just how difficult um, a time Haiti has had for a very long time um, and how much they struggle and how much poverty is there. And there are people there that don't have clothing. And we could simply meet their need by looking in our closets because many of us have abundance of clothing and clothing we don't use anymore. But to go and find the stuff that's still in really good shape uh, and to make sure that we're bringing it in and we're going to send uh, alongside some other churches a big container worth of stuff, including a bunch of clothing for people that don't have it. And we're just going to exercise that muscle because what if whether it's us as individuals, and certainly if it's us as a church together, what if this wasn't just, hey, for June we're going to do this, but what if we started building up the muscle, and this is where I believe we just need to make sure this is just really clear and part of our DNA. What if we were always looking for needs that we could meet? I know we can't do everything. And to go meet them, and to know that when we meet needs, we will meet Jesus. Heavenly Father, um, it's convicting what we've just read. Uh, maybe it's even really heavy for a lot of us, um, but I want to thank you for these words of Jesus. I want to thank you for um, the words that show us, I think, clearly and jar us out of uh, a selfish and judgmental way of, of trying to relate to you and others. And today, I pray that as some of that maybe is heavy on our hearts, that you would uh, just show us your way, the better way, the way of justice and mercy and faith the way to uh, meet you as we meet other people's needs. And I pray that what we do over these next few weeks would just be uh, maybe just the start, the tip of the iceberg, finding a way for us to, to meet the needs of people in our city just down the road. And some people who are, are, are you know, a continent away, um, but just to reflect your love. God, we're not perfect and we won't be. So in all of this, we ask that you would surround us by your grace that saves us, but also propels us uh, to live the way Jesus lived. And we pray that that would be... Um, that would be what this church looks like, that we would look more and more like you.